In the 1980s, comic books were back on top, and interest had turned to a little character called Batman? We're going to find out what happens when that movie explodes and is given a campier treatment. It's Franchise Fellas, and we're talking about Batman and Batman and Robin and Robin. Miles, how you doing, buddy? I am good. I, I got to tell you, Drew, I have enjoyed the first iteration of Franchise Follies. This has been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work, but it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, this has been a tough one uh, to go through these, especially going back and watching these great movies. And then they're not so great sequels, except for Tron. Tron Legacy was good, I thought. But uh, yeah. Well, I mean, not just that, but usually we do one film or one little comic book run or a little bit of a game. And not only diving into to the the kind of the history behind two separate films, but also trying to figure out how we wanted to talk about two separate films. One, I think I really like how we handled it, but it's still a lot to kind of dive into uh, when we're usually doing half the work. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm worried about us on this one, man, because you know how we get off talking oh, about yeah. Batman. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, listeners. It's Batman. Strap in. I'm I'm setting a timer. I'm going to have a timer that's going to go off, and it's I'm just going to call out a ding, ding, ding when we got to move on. I'm okay? going to ignore it. Uh, no, I know. <laughs> uh, but both Drew and I are massive, massive Batman fans, and you really can't have you can't talk about franchise followers without talking about the bat shaped elephant in the room, Batman and Robin. Um, this is, and yes, this is a character that drew and I both can talk about for hours on. end. we have taped and very nearly released a whole show, a separate show from the way nerd about Batman. I believe it was late night with a Kate crusader. Late night. K N I G H T. Yeah. Um, and I was still wanted to call. Yeah, I I want to do it one day. I I wanted to call it late night with the dark night. Uh, but we 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 filmed an episode. That, I think Mike was part of this too, wasn't he? Or was it just uh, Patrick? Patrick? It was Patrick. Yeah. But anyway, um, the big yeah. thing though is that this 1989 Tim Burton Batman movie. We as as dirty millennials, this is right in our time frame. Uh, I was six years old when oh, this movie we came, came to a, we came of age as far as nerds to this movie yeah this was this was a huge huge thing i remember play, and because and also at the t- same time the 60s batman tv series was still in regular syndication so i remember going on the playground and and oh i want to be the batman in black well i want to be the batman in gray and it was just that was how we played so that everybody could be a different kind of batman uh but we'll get into some of the other funny stuff, like the Batman in yellow, uh, that pe- some people wanted to be, because everybody wanted to be Batman. So let's jump in and talk about our first film tonight, Batman. Uh, so production for Batman begins, not Batman Begins, but the Bat. you get what I'm saying. I, I did not mean to do that at all. <laughs> all the way back in the 1970s. So Batman's popularity was 
not super great back then. And, and as you know, that'll happen for a character that's 80 years old. Uh, but CBS initially expressed, yes, CBS, a, a, a interest in a film called Batman in Outer Space. However, when now, Drew, is this around the time that we were still talking about phase two for Star Trek? Was, 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 was this still going on or had, had the motion picture already started by set? I, I can't remember my own things from four months ago. So motion, but, motion picture would have started. Well, well, motion picture came out in 79, I believe. Okay. So they were probably in, per, th- th- these conversations were about 77, 78, I think. Yeah. Uh, Mostly because of the idea of Batman in outer space at the same time a, a new Star Trek is being worked on. You, you got to wonder. There's also <laughs> probably some similarities in time when uh, we the Batman versus Godzilla movie uh, was was being toyed around with uh, that we've talked about on our Godzilla episodes uh, way back in the day. Uh, yes. But producers Benjamin Melnicker and Michael Uslan bought the rights in 1979. They had difficulty selling their pitch. They wanted to make a dark, serious version of Batman, not too dissimilar from his original creation. Uh, but studios like Columbia and United Artists turned down their pitches because they wanted something fun and campy and in line with that 60s Batman show, which was, for its time, a huge hit. Yeah, and that makes sense because uh, at the same time, the comics started to get a little darker. Uh, that's when Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams started their run. So they weren't Rest quite... in peace, Denny O'Neill. True. Um, they weren't quite as dark as it, as it would get in the 80s, but the duo tried a handful of times to get their darker tale of Batman off the ground to little success. Warner Brothers, though, after the success of the Christopher Reeves Superman films, started bringing in you know, the hot money, they eventually agreed to do it. So in 1980, around the, I think it was the the New York Artist Comic Convention, they greenlit the movie with a budget of $15 million. And in June of 1983, they brought in uh, Tom Mankiewicz. He was one of the main writers, or one of the writers for Superman the movie, and he penned a script just simply called The Batman, and it focused on Batman and Dick Grayson's origin stories, Dick Grayson being Robin for those who may not be familiar with the character. Uh, in the film, both uh, Joker and mob boss Rupert Thorne were the film's primarily the primary villains, and it was largely based on a comic run called Strange Apparitions, uh, which is one you can still find in comic stores today. It's not very difficult to track down. I have a copy on my shelf. It's a pretty good read. <laughs> For most of the film's development, material uh, that material would be the basis for the scripts in the, the early to mid-80s. More than nine writers wrote nine unique scripts around it, with many directors considered all varying in tone. Ivan Reitman, who directed Ghostbusters, uh, Joe Dante, who directed Gremlins, Wes Craven of Nightmare on Elm Street. Were all I want to see all of these movies. I want to see all of these movies. A Wes Craven uh, Scarecrow movie could be pretty fun yeah yeah Yeah. uh they were all considered as potential directors ivan reitman wanted to cast bill murray and eddie murphy as batman and robin respectively so you can kind of see that nobody really had a clear idea of what they wanted to make at any given time was that an snl skit they eventually did when murphy was on probably i know there was a uh there was the um, Superman dinner party back in the seventies. That was yes, 
uh, would again wouldn't have been that far removed from this, but no. But a director was uh, finally found in none other than Tim Burton, who had found success in his feature film debut, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Uh, he would eventually throw out all prior script ideas and start with a fre- fresh with an origin story, uh, backed by a positive response from Batman co-creator Bob Kane, who I believe actually cameos in the movie, if I remember correctly. Is that him that gives the the photo the, the picture? It may not be the him that gives the photo, but the, the the picture's named by him. Anyway, we'll look into yeah. that. Uh, the studio finally fully greenlit the production after Burton had a hot streak with Beetlejuice, uh, but now it was time to cast the film. And cast it, they did. So as WB did with Superman, there was a parade of who's who in Hollywood as far as who was going to play the Dark Knight. Uh, from Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, Charlie Sheen, Tom Selleck, Bill Murray, Harrison Ford, Dennis Quaid, and even William Willem Dafoe, who has popularly and incorrectly been thought to have been considered for the Joker. Can you imagine? No, he would have been Thomas, good with that. <laughs> Tom Selleck as Batman. He would. Would he have shaved the mustache for it? No, I do not think he would have. Because he's shaved it <laughs> since. He's. he's like, uh, he had he did he did it for friends didn't he? Uh, no, he had it for friends. I think he shaved it as recently as Blue Bloods, but I don't know. I don't. But I'm not, yeah, I, I'm not up on Selleck that much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Burton kind of balked at the studio's insistence for an established actor. He wanted to work with someone who was more unknown, which is something most directors like to do because they don't have to deal with, you know, the problems that come with popular actors. So when a producer suggested Michael Keaton, with whom he had worked on Beetlejuice. He finally kind of sat and agreed. So fans, critics, and even Bob came himself caused quite a stir with casting Mr. Mom. A lot of people only knew Keaton's comedic work, and they just did not see him as what has been purported to be a serious take on Batman. And this incited a 50,000-strong angry letter campaign from fans. Again, uh, this, but- this is also in the days when the internet was not a thing. No. So this was all tabloid rumors and Variety magazine and and circular circulations of of really small people, and and that's the other thing to keep in mind. Burton was a comedy actor. He was known for Mr. Mom, Beetlejuice. Keaton. What did I say? Burton. I meant Burton. Keaton. Well, Burton was also known for Beetlejuice. Yeah, I mean Beetlejuice <laughs> and Pee Wee uh, were both comedies. You know, so I mean you're not wrong. Yeah, but. Uh, McKeaton, uh, Mr. Mom, Beetlejuice, Johnny Dangerously, which I think is a funnier movie than is getting credit for. Love that movie. <laughs> um, so so many other little things on on film and TV, and you guys remember when when they cast the Joker for the Dark Knight, and how much of a campaign there was about Heath Ledger. Man, so many people made fun of me for for defending him, and then when that movie came out, I got so many apology texts. <laughs> and, well, and the same thing has been going on with Pattinson. I think a lot of people have one learned from history. I mean, you're always going to have you know idiot nerd boys who are just never going to like anything. Yeah. But a lot of people have noted that yes, he was in Twilight, but since then he has gone off on a journey. He has done many weird films. He worked with the Safdie brothers before uncut gems. He worked with uh, David Cronenberg for three films. Like this dude has been putting in the work. Well, and that's the other side of things that, that, 
pe- people in these roles have typically been typecast prior to these roles. People looked at Keaton just for his comedy roles. People looked at Ledger just for his teen roles, his teen movies. Uh, people look at Pattinson just at Twilight because they've never seen anything else he's done because he's done a bunch of indie films that didn't get a huge ton of box office, whatever. But I, I'm willing to... to. I mean, p- people even balked at Batfleck, which I still defend 75%. Uh, you, 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 you and I are, are both of the opinion that while we do not like a lot of the writing for those movies that Ben Affleck put in a great performance and would have been a great Batman under a great script. But his, his, his Batman was fine. So we talked a lot about Batman. We need to talk about the other... Uh, the, the other... Uh, uh, Mr. Main, J. Mr. J. Uh, so the Joker, Tim Curry, David Bowie, John Lithgow, Ray Liotta, and James Woods were all considered for the Joker. Robin Williams campaigned pretty hard for it, but... Burton and WB settled on Jack Nicholson. My Jack Nicholson is a terrible impression. Man, if I got David Bowie as the Joker. <laughs> Look at you, man. You're gonna Oh yeah, but this this is like this is like when Bowie was still doing cocaine and stuff. Like he would have been off the wall. Put a smile on that face. Uh, so of course, Nicholson proved to be immediately popular as a casting choice, though he did have to to be talked down from his typical ten million fee to a six per, six million fee, and a percentage of royalties, which honestly ended up being a much better deal for him. Yeah, I think I saw some something somewhere where he ended up walking away making fifty million off that movie. Well, as we get into what this movie made, I do not uh, do not doubt it. Uh, so. However, shooting the Batman uh, proved difficult for Burton due to an extra level of secrecy while filming uh, because of of what this, a few technical mishaps and some some weird restrictions with Nicholson that he had put on the production itself. They're pretty insane. I, I remember seeing what he wanted. Like he had to have X amount of days off. He had, if there was a Lakers game, I believe he had to be off for any Lakers home game. And he had a specific like off the clock agreement. Like he had certain number of hours of work that he would do. And that was it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but when you're Jack Nicholson, you, I I get that, but it's like, man, wait, I, you could be off for every home Lakers game during this. This is an crazy thing. Cause I don't think this was like filmed exclusively I mean, it was in, it was in Burbank, but still, it's not it's not easy to do something like that. <laughs> Depends on the season, man. So basketball season. <laughs> so the Batman was finally released on June nineteenth of nineteen eighty nine and became an instant sensation. Fans adored it. Critics were a little more torn, but it pulled in a seventy one percent on Rotten Tomatoes due to some folks not liking the the darker turn. And most importantly, the movie made money. On a mm-hmm. budget of $35 million, the final tally came in at over $411 million. And this is before home video sales. That's just box office. Uh, so home video sales were $150 million, And we can't 
we we have to talk a little bit about the merchandising surrounding this movie because that was also huge. Oh, yeah. I mean, this movie was such a cultural touchstone. I mean, I remember when this movie came out, one, I remember begging my parents. So this is 89. I was born in 84. I was five years old. Begging them to see it. I knew it was PG-13, and they were kind of like, well, hmm. So they went and saw it first. And my mom thought it would be a little too much, but my dad took me. And the Joker, specifically the scene where he electrocutes the guy, <laughs> scared the crap out of me. So it's, it's what's funny about that is I do I honestly don't remember, and I forgot to ask my my mom if I don't think I saw this in the theater. I was at the time obsessed with Batman because, as previously mentioned, that the 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 Adam West show was on TV all oh, yeah. the time, all the time. But I do know that I had this movie on VHS that I watched all the time. And every Kenner toy, probably. <laughs> I had so many toys. Oh, me too. So I mean, so many. It's, it's I hadn't seen. I haven't sat down and watched the '89 Batman in a while. But I seeing the cave again brought back memories because I had the cave playset. Dude, I had the cave too. I think I got it for Christmas one year, and I was me too. And so happy. You could roll the the um. There was like a little knob that you could turn so that the, the TV channels would change. Or yes, whatever. and it had those orange chairs with the pointy tops. <laughs> yeah, that didn't match um, anything else. Um, and this, I mean, yeah, this started a huge thing for Kenner. I'm I'm surprised they haven't done a Batman toys that made us. Because the the toy history of that character is is fascinating of itself, but I mean, not only did you have movies from, or I'm sorry, figures from the movies, but this is when they started really going into directions of, oh, well, we'll do different versions of Batman. Here's Aqua Batman, where he's got a little like, um, the scuba thing. Like, yeah, it's weird scuba set. One, and, or, and, and I, you might have you might have heard me mention the Batman in yellow from the beginning of the episode. That's the Batman in yellow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it had, it had all different colors. You had and the you had, Arctic battle Batman, and you had mm-hmm, that's a famous one where it's like a kind of a bluish camo. You had the Batman where you could put on. It was a Bruce Wayne figure that you could snap on the the Batman cow. And put that, the cape around him. That actually came with a uh, a Bruce Wayne. Uh, well, maybe this is a separate one. There was a Bruce Wayne coupe that you could pull out, and it would kind of turn from a yeah. Bruce Wayne car into a Batmobile. Although now I think about it, was the the one that came with the, with the Bruce Wayne figure was that Batman or was that Batman Returns? All of this has melded in my mind because they were so Same. close together. For example, but, I'm also remembering a a Tim Drake Robin figure that was uh, that came out alongside Batman Returns, yes. but was had nothing to do with. No, because Robin's not movie, even in the movie. Robin's not in that movie. Um, but not just figures. I mean, this this really did signal, and you can go up on YouTube and watch old news shows from this because I've done it because I love doing this kind of stuff. Um, there, it was called Batmania. I mean, people were buying Batman stuff left and right, and anyone who had any sense was either getting or making Batman merchandise to sell. Like, this this movie was a cultural phenom. Keep in mind, this was kind of – you had Superman the movie, but this kind of phenomenon was still kind of new. I mean, you, you only had a Star Wars, you know, the one time, you know, that it let's, happened. Let's be honest. Batman is – the coolest. So well, of there's course. there's also that. But I mean, <laughs> this is we take it for granted now because the superhero 
genre became a thing about a decade and a, and a half, like really established later. But this really is all kickstarted by the massive popularity and the commercialization of Batman 1989. Yeah. And I mean, I had the Batman serial. The, the Batman serial came packaged with mm-hmm. a bank and it was a, a plastic shell torso of Michael Keaton's Batman. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, to the point where, there is, I had one that is somewhere that like the little back uh, sticker thing came off. And then my mom was cleaning up after I moved out. And this is still in the closet in my bedroom in my parents' house. Brand new one still in there. That is <laughs> as awesome. At some point. Uh, but we should probably talk about the movie itself because this is, uh, watching this movie, I realized that we had gone back to watch Batman Returns as for something in the Morty Nerd in the last several years, but I yeah, haven't seen ago. this movie in a long it's time. It's been at least a decade. And it was honestly, it was really fun to go back to because, I mean, after after Burton left and the Batman movies happened, around the time when Burton started to kind of get a little too on his goth Willy Wonka side, he started to talk it was around the time he was doing Superman. He started to talk a lot about a lot of smack about, Oh, I've never read a Batman comic. Da, 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 da. And he kind of soured himself from with the, for, for, with the comic community during this time for a little bit. And it's, it's difficult to, especially from that time, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the movie forever. So now being able to separate myself from all of that nonsense from the early two thousands, I really, I it, it's so funny because I forget how reserved his style really is in this movie. It's, it's, I mean, it's definitely there. The it's, it's there, but it is, it is far removed from what he ends up, up doing. It is, it, it's mostly background stuff. It's set pieces that it, that's where that 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 tale comes in. Now, I'm going to be honest. I did something else with this because I uh, I have a an eight year old son. Did you, did you watch it with the, the Goblin King? I did. That's all. So what did he think of that? I, so, I'm sorry, listeners. I, I got to know. <laughs> so, so this is one of those things where, you know, I remember, like, I, it's hard to believe that I watched this movie at a younger age than he did because there's some dark stuff in this movie. It's a really dark movie. Uh, but I, I turn it on and I don't tell him what we're watching because I want him to to kind of experience uh, it to experience it and i wanted it to be a surprise because he's like you know dad what are we doing dad what are we doing i'm like oh it's just, just we're gonna watch a movie we're gonna watch a movie it's really important oh but i wanted to do no we're gonna watch a movie it's gonna be super awesome and then we start the movie and it starts with this sweeping mm-hmm. over and now he figured it out pretty quickly because he's watched batman the animated series a lot and they use and he's played the lego batman games a lot which all use this soundtrack this honestly one of the most iconic theme songs of all time it's is Danny Elfman's you know beautiful. it's so good and so it starts in it's like dad I know what this is I know what this is it's Batman yes it is son yes it is <laughs> um, I, I got I didn't <laughs> I got a little teary it wasn't quite as, as bad as I thought it was going to get but I was excited and and honestly it was it was seeing these things 
and watching this movie that I know backwards and forwards, but also do not know backwards and forwards at all. I mm-hmm. remembered stuff way out of order in this movie and and just... Well, that and watching it with our young minds and then the, the imprint that it made on... There's some things that you look more limited now, but in my imagination was a lot more like smooth and fluid like the the opening sequence which is still great the opening sequence of this movie is fantastic and this is the perfect way to open this movie because not only do you get to open up and show what kind of batman film you're making but you also get to show every single person that doubted michael keaton that you were insanely incorrect yeah and this movie opens up with the classic Family of three coming out of a movie theater and going down a dark alley. But they do call out. They call out a different name for the dad. I'm like, wait, that's not Tom. They didn't say Thomas. They didn't say Martha. It's it's, it's Harry. Oh, it's because in the opening moments of this movie, Batman saves a family from his own fate. And it's like, ah, that's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's 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 a great opening. It gives you the iconic "I'm Batman" moment. But I also this is one thing that I that, that this movie does, and other movies in 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 the future have done lightly. But I always say there's three ways to do a Batman film. There's Batman the superhero. There's Batman the street crime fighter slash detective, and there's Batman the urban legend. And it's very rare you get to see those things mixed together. Specifically Batman the Urban Legend, but hearing the two criminals talk about this ghost story, basically. Yeah. I heard the bat got him. That is so good. One, it automatically sets up that Batman has been operating for a little bit, but he's been doing it clandestinely in in the way that the citizens of Gotham don't know it, but the, the underworld is aware. And I I love this scene. Plus the, the, there's no music. They're talking, and you just see him coming down through the smoke in the background. I mean, it's it's expertly done. And yes, in my in my memory, this this all works out super smooth and doesn't look as janky because it's 1989. But I I really think this this opening is perfect. I also love that I caught myself doing some things like he's he's descending with his cape out in one of the opening shots. And it's like, you could totally see the wire when he's coming down like that. Oh, you can you can definitely but, you can see him holding on to the stuff on the cape. No, and- but but then, right as I say that, he whips out and he disconnects the wire from his belt. We were supposed to see the wire. <laughs> Honestly, this one has done some of the best explanations of how Batman gets around than I think any movie. Because you see the catch and release on that device on his belt and usually it's like oh he's got the the grappling gun and it works this is the origin of batman's grappling gun prior to the 1989 batman film it was oh yeah he was always using a hook and rope hook and rope yeah that's true which is just also so much of this movie just influenced everything else that would come after that i believe this is the first in- instance where Batman, obviously, it would be one of the first because there weren't that many uh, uh, vocal Batman performances where you have a slightly different vocal performance between Bruce Wayne and Batman. Yes. And from what I have I've I read was this is what um, Christian Bale was looking at. And the thing is, I know it's, it's easy to make fun of Christian Bale's Batman accent. It makes sense 
within the narrative. But I do think he could have toned it down a little bit just to make it less cartoony because when he when he turned it up, it was just a little cartoon. It never bothers me when I'm watching the film. But then you hear Michael Keaton do it, and he sounds like two different characters. He still sounds like Michael Keaton. Oh, and he, and Ke- Kevin Conroy of Batman the Animated Series per- voice exactly. actor does it perfectly. He's got he just turns up the gravel a little bit. Um, yeah, and I mean we haven't even gotten past the opening sequence. And again, we're not going to spend too too much time on eighty nine. But there there are some things I know Drew and I both are going to want to talk about, and that was one of them for me. Yeah, the one other thing I really want to talk about because I know we're going to run too long talking about this because we could spend hours talking about just this movie and all the bad yeah. stuff is that no even even doing research for this movie i i cut out so much because i was like we could have done a whole episode or two on this one movie yeah but it's it's really as we look at what we know about batman today in 2020 having watched seven eight nine different movies that have had batman since 1989 uh, yeah three different no four eight different cartoon series of different descriptions. Uh, We know so much more about Batman and there are little things in this movie that have, I've never noticed before. Like the simple fact in this movie, Bruce Wayne is as much of a mystery to everybody as Batman is, which is a little weird because in almost every iteration, everyone knows who Bruce Wayne is. And even here, where like the people working for the newspaper, the investigative journalists, are sort of like, who is this Bruce Wayne guy? His and, parents died. Look at that. And like in every iteration I've ever read, like the Wayne deaths were like front page news and people well, always remember it. They were even front page news in the paper that they worked for. <laughs> they just didn't know about it. And I guess maybe enough time had passed that that hadn't the Wayne name hadn't become a thing. But the yeah, and we, we don't know the, the Bible they were working with, because in almost every iteration that we're familiar with, Thomas Wayne was a super prominent figure in Gotham. And like Wayne Enterprises is a huge thing and and the wayne foundation and all of these other wayne 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 waynes yeah we don't do we even get wayne tech until the second movie do we we don't get anything because he has a a business meeting with uh christopher walken in the second one but i don't think we see him doing any business in this film we don't know jack about bruce wayne only thing we know is that he is hosting that big fundraiser in his mansion but even then nobody knows who he is at the party (laughs) Yeah, I, it's one thing that didn't quite sit right with me, but, you know, it it is what it is. It didn't bother me, you know? Yeah. Um. So I, I do want to ask you, uh, one of, of Burton's big influences is what he said got him into comics proper was Alan Moore's The Killing Joke. And he uses the Joker origin to some degree in this. It's honestly kind of the perfect story of he goes in the, in the acid and comes out the Joker, which is fine. So that part i don't think you or i have a problem with but how do you feel about the joker being the shooter in batman's origin i didn't dislike it until i got way into batman comics okay it never really bothered me it never really became a thing that i was super worried about it was just again i think it's probably because i came across it when i was so young that it just made sense it's actually, no, I feel the same way. It's actually kind of an interesting take to do that. Um, it is one of those things where now that I know so much about the Joker, I I really 
don't necessarily like this Joker origin story because he's not the Cloud Prince of Crime. He was already a crazy guy that just fell into some acid and his hair turned green. Yeah, I'm the, this this is the Joker that our buddy Patrick likes. He likes mob boss Joker. He, that's which, that's what he, he enjoys. Which, and it does work here. Nicholson is amazing. I do not have a problem with mob boss Joker if it's done well. I think it's done well in a number of comic runs. I think it's done well here. I actually really like it. And uh, when when I was watching it with my son, my wife kind of was like, wait, why are all those guys working for him? It's like, well, this guy was his his lieutenant before he fell in the ass. You so. are my number one guy. <laughs> it's a great performance. It's such a great um, performance. And uh, this, both, both of us saw this when we were about five or six. And this predates a lot of my knowledge about Catwoman. So from for an early age, I always thought that Vicky Vale was like the Mary Jane to, you know, Bruce's Peter. <laughs> and and she she she's popped up in comics. She has been a romantic interest before, but like Silver St. Clair and Catwoman and a number of other uh characters have been more prominent romantic interests. So I'm kind of curious to why is that they chose Vicky. Uh, but I mean, that that made a big impression on me when I was younger. And I know they put her in the comics more after this movie because, I mean, she made – Kim Basker, one, killed as Vicky Vale. Uh, I thought she did a great job. For sure. Um, it, it sucks that they kind of just continuity dice rolled with the next one. Like, that, I don't think they even explain where she is. I can't remember because it's been a long enough period of time that um, – and I love Knox. I, I love all the characters. I love not Bullock. <laughs> not Bullock is, is interesting. Because uh, I remember that being Bullock, but I probably remember that because it's, it's, uh, it's in your head because of the Batman, the animated series. Yeah. And this movie is, is, I mean, Batman, the animated series is a direct product of this movie because here's where you get the kind of out of time Gotham city and the, the kind of the retro noir stuff, yeah, the, the the forties film noir, the art deco architecture, the, the one thing things. before, before we, we move on. Cause I don't want to spend too, too much time on the first one is despite the rubber. I adore the design of this suit. I love the all black with the yellow oval. It has always been one of my favorite costumes. And anytime a game gives me the opportunity to change into that 89 bat suit, I can't, I can't remember the designer's name, but the, the people that designed this and the 89 Batmobile, I mean, I don't I don't get to, oh, this is definitive this, and I will accept nothing else, but those two designs are... Mwah. So, I mentioned that I, I, I jokingly said that I got a little teary-eyed when the movie opened up, but I'm going to be honest, the real moment that I, I got choked up was seeing that 89 Batmobile on screen. It's again. so good. It's, it's so good. I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of getting glorious. misty. I just talk about it. It is glorious. It's it's one of my favorite I think sci-fi cars of all time. It's it's fantastic. And one of it's it and again, this is me projecting things onto my children. One of the first like not baby toys, but like toy toys I ever got for my son. He was like three and I saw that Batmobile, just a little Hot Wheels Batmobile. Mm. And 
I was trying to, it was, it was a reward for something that I decided I'm going to buy this and I'm going to give it to him at some point. And that Batmobile, he carried around for a long time without any context for other than knowing it was a Batmobile. I have that Hot Wheels. I, I, <laughs> I love that car. It's, it's beautiful. It is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful design. Well, and that's the thing about this movie that I, I can see why it became one. You have the everything firing off all cylinders. The cast is fantastic. The design work is mwah. and you have this weird blend where it's a good movie. It's a good movie from the 80s. You get that. But it, it's also very much a comic book movie. Yeah. Like these people are playing comic book characters in their almost what you can feel like as full costumes like you like oh this is a costume of a Clark Kent you know that kind of deal like where Christopher Reeves basically wore the 40s uh Clark Kent outfit they 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 give it enough realism to just barely eke by blending that line and, and still, I think that's what makes it such- and it largely works as a movie like the yeah o- it the does only, the only real problems uh, problems in quotes that I have with this movie are you know well, Batman doesn't actually blank. It's not like the movie is flawed in that respect. They 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 set up so much stuff and it pays off. It's a well-crafted movie. And especially if you don't bury yourself in Batman lore, that's really the only stuff that's there to bother me about it, honestly. And, and at the time, very few people were. I wasn't at the time. Which it, is- well, exactly. And not only that, but I mean, the one thing that kind of bothers me that I, 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 I always thought was kind of weird as a kid, and I still think it's weird, as great of a sight gag as it is, when Joker pulls out that long gun and it. shoots down the bat plane. Love it. Don't it, care. It, love it. It, it, it just <laughs> irritates me. It always has. And it's one of those things where like, that's not how that would work. But I mean, no, it doesn't matter. It's a, like I said, it's a great sight gag. Also, the Prince music is mwah, say magnifique. It's everything about this movie is super, super fun. I understand why it became the the massive cultural hit that it was. And and yet we should. Yeah, we should probably get to how we got from there. So Warner uh, after after Batman came out, Warner released Batman Returns in 1992. It became a smash hit. We are going to gloss over some of the stuff because. Otherwise, we'd be here all freaking yeah. night. This is this is a weird one because we're we're bookending a four movie run and not a two movie run. So stick yes. with this game. Uh, so this movie also was a smash hit, but it it didn't do quite as well as the first one. So for Batman Forever, Burton was already working on a third film, and there has been a lot of speculation at the time. A lot of people said that Burton quits; he didn't want to do it. Uh, I found out actually this week that the movie was going to be called badly enough Batman continues with Michael Keaton, Michelle Pfeiffer, Billy D Williams, who had only taken the job because he was promised he could be two face Robin Williams as the uh, Riddler, Billy D Williams who had been in Batman and Batman returns mm-hmm. and great in them. So yeah, Robin Williams, Renee Russo and Marlon Wayans. Um, I, I, from what I've gathered, Rene Russo was going to be the Chase Meridian character. I have no idea who Wayans was supposed to play. Hmm. Uh, however, I, I think actually now that I remember, he might have been in, a, in in the running for Robin. So you know, I've at, heard that. I've heard that. Now that you mention it, so so he was set to make this movie. 
However, after the release of Batman Returns, McDonald's, who was making out like a bandit at the time with Happy Meal sales, said that the film was inappropriate for children and asked Warner Brothers to kind of clean it up. So Warner Brothers asked Burton to step down as director. And when Burton went, Keaton went. Keaton had no interest in making the movie, even after demanding $20 million as a salary. He had no interest in doing it without Tim Burton. So they went in favor, eventually going with Joel Schumacher to make Batman and Robin. And here's where we see this big franchise folly. And I have to defend McDonald's in this. I think Batman Returns is not a Batman movie. I think it's a Catwoman Penguin movie that Batman is in four and a half that minutes. has of. largely been the criticism of Batman movies of the 90s anyway. So, as with Caddyshack and Speed, corporate interference started getting in the way of creativity. So Joel Schumacher took Batman Forever in a much lighter direction. Val Kilmer was cast as Batman, and Chris O'Donnell was introduced as Robin. It's fine. Honestly, I think this movie yeah. is okay. Um, I mean, honestly, I, you know me, I'm a massive Tim Drake fan. I've got a tattoo right here. I loved, I loved, I loved they used Tim's outfit for the most part. I liked the way Robin looked. I wish he had been a little younger. I know that wouldn't have quite worked for what they were doing and those costumes, but Batman, Robin being that, that much older makes it a little less special for me. But, um, I, I think, I think the movie's fine. I, th I think the only thing is, yes, it is a little bit lighter and it deals with some heavy stuff. And as Travis had uh, mentioned, there is rumblings of the the 180 minute cut of this movie that's much darker, possibly actually existing out there. I've heard a bit rumor of it for years. Oh, and also oh. we should rest say rest in peace, Joel Schumacher, who between when we planned this and released yeah. this episode has passed away. Um, yes, there's a lot of that going on right now, and uh, it's we've been weirdly on the nose with some of this stuff because I I was just seeing a bunch of these retrospectives about Caddyshack two last week, and then the Tron three news, and uh, I think Keanu Reeves briefly saying, "Yeah, I do Speed three, baby," but I mean that's the only one that's kind of stayed stayed away. We, we've been we've been weirdly prescient. And, and again, we chose these movies in June. <laughs> yeah, I feel like maybe, uh, I don't know whether we are influenced or we are being suddenly influenced by everything else. But anyway, it's just, it's just, it's just digital jazz, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the Batman forever did fairly well. It improved on Bo Batman returns box office. So of course, naturally Schumacher gets another movie. Uh, he's got Batman forever's writer, Akiva Goldsman signed up for a sequel and they doubled down on the more for kids direction and how uh so chris o'donnell reprised his role as dick grayson for batman and robin however batman himself did not return in the form of val kilmer uh, so proud of myself for that stupid pun uh kilmer and schumacher didn't really work well together with the director stating saying he sort of quit and we sort of fired him uh i think kilmer recently had talked about he had some people on set that were visiting, either friends or family, and they were much more interested in the gadgetry than they were seeing him. And for whatever reason, he thought that was not fun for him. Like, being in the mask was not worth it. I, I don't know. It hurt his ego. 
So uh, Schumacher, and <laughs> this cracks me up, he was reportedly interested in William Baldwin. Again? This, yeah, the second time we've had uh, almost William Baldwin in, in one of these movies. I, I need to go back and watch some of his early 90s movies again because I want to know why everyone was wanting to work with this guy. Um, I mean, I don't dislike William Baldwin, but it's just funny to me. Uh, so he eventually cast George Clooney, uh, believing he would be a perfect choice for a lighter version of Batman. And this actually fit with uh, Clooney's ER schedule. So he was the perfect choice for everyone because he was a big star on TV and it it made sense. Uh, Patrick Stewart was in heavy consideration for Mr. Freeze while the, the script was taking shape. But when uh, Arnold became available... The script was basically retooled to fit what he would bring to that version of the character. Schumacher wanted someone. This is news to me for the record. And as I look at what we got versus what we could have had in a Patrick Stewart sort of because at this point, we have to remember that the Mr. Freeze character has been completely redone by Batman, the animated series. Every prior, every prior instance of Mr. Freeze before, before Batman, the animated series was literally a cartoony guy in a spacesuit who had to stay cold. Yeah, Heart, Heart of Ice is honestly it was one of the best Batman stories of all time, and I, I think in the in the right movie, it probably, whether or not Burton had done one or someone else, I still think Patrick Stewart is the perfect person to bring that pathos, that tragedy that was delivered so well in Heart of Ice in the animated series to the character. And every I remember uh, Wizard Magazine when it existed, comics, comic book illustrated when it existed, all of them were talking about how they wanted Patrick Stewart to be Mr. Freeze uh, before and after this film came out. Uh, but but Schumacher wanted someone who looked like they were carved out of ice. And of course, Arnold still being in people's minds as an action star made complete sense. Uh, Uma Thurman was attracted to Poison Ivy because she really liked the femme fatale attitude. And filling out the cast was Elisa Silverstone as Batgirl. And that was honestly the only person they considered. Silverstone had had a massive surge because of Clueless in in 95. So getting her as Batgirl was apparently their number one priority. So this is where I have to also make an admission. No, I did not watch Batman and Robin with my son. I did, however, watch <laughs> Batman and Robin with my wife. My wife. Eight seconds into Alicia Silverstone's Barbara Wilson. I think Wilson. I can't remember her last name because it's not Barbara Gordon. She's Alfred's niece. Niece. Yeah, we'll Barbara talk Wilson. About, we'll talk about that. Uh, Rebecca turns to me and says, "Oh, so she's just playing Cher again." Kind of. <laughs> and that's what they wanted her for. And honestly, I, I mean, I, we haven't got to the movie yet. We still got it there. I don't really hate her in this. I, I, I actually have some. I've really turned around in this movie. I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking about it because as last week, we talked about how we we're going to come across this movie in a different light. But let's let's finish up the, the, the history before we talk about that. Yeah. So the filming schedule the filming was relatively drama free. It actually finished two weeks ahead of schedule, which is pretty crazy. Uh, most big budget motion pictures take months later uh, and reshoots and all of that. Uh, the only notes of, uh, that would, it, uh, 
The only notes of what would end up being this film's down, downfall were how insistent that Joel Schumacher was that no one behave like a character. Which doesn't make sense because... No. Everybody is behaving like a character. He would reportedly yell before each take, Remember everyone, this is a cartoon! Which many actors found difficult to function under. Man, I just... Like, I already know that they were supposed to double down on the the lighter aspect. But... And even looking at it as we are now, I guess watching it bookended with Batman, despite being kinder to this movie... Because I, I am, I am going to be much kinder to this movie than I ever have been in my entire life. I won't. I still, I still can't. I still can't see how we got here. Even knowing how we got here, I'm like, man, you start here. Like the phrase started from the bottom, now we're here. It started from the top, and now we're here. Uh, this this movie was released on on June 12th, 1997, and was immediately reviled. Fans detested it, and with a 11% on Rotten Tomatoes, critics hated it too. While the film seemed to at least break even with its production budget from what's estimated being from $120 to $160 million, its box office take was $238, which is a massive hit considering the large amount of marketing leading up to the film's release. So it's since gone on to have a reputation as a candidate for worst comic book movie, worst sequel of all time, and worst movie of all time. And so before Drew and I took this one on, and I we both have mentioned this last week, I wanted to come at this movie with a, a viewpoint that I have never really considered until we started talking about it, was the idea that people are being kind of this movie now because they, they look at it as a, a spiritual successor to the Batman that, quote-unquote, they grew up with in the 60s Batman. And so I watched a couple episodes of Adam West Batman before watching this just to kind of get in that mode. And and that didn't kind of inform how I watched this movie. Drew, you said you you're not going to be kind to this movie. So you're you're you didn't like it. <laughs> no, I didn't like it. I liked it. Uh, I, I I will I will say there it's not without niceties. There are a few things that I actually liked about this movie. But there's a lot that I didn't. And and there's a lot there. There is even being again, I'm being kinder to it than I ever have before. That does not mean that that's a, a winning endorsement because I have been pretty vicious to this movie in the past. So, so um, my, my biggest fault with this movie is that everything is I was about to say everything in this movie is a joke, but I don't mean to say that. Because that implies that anything in this movie is funny. Everything in this movie is an attempt at a joke. Every yes, time, there... every time that that Mister Freeze is in costume, and he makes cool out, ice to see you. You're going to freeze to death or something. It's it's terrible. And there's clearly that's what they wanted to happen. But what what's weird about that is that if you take those pieces of that away Arnold's performance in this movie outside of those scenes is actually pretty good oh I agree when and this I think this is what bothers me the most most is I do agree 
that this film tries to serve as a long-running gag. Because even looking through the lens of it as a successor to Batman 66, Batman 66 was earnest in, in what it was doing. This movie is winking and nudging at you the entire time. Now, still giving it that leeway of, of camp, there, there is some fun to be had. One thing I really, really like, and I texted this to Drew, is I said some of the martial arts that Batman and Robin do, do is probably the most we've seen on screen as opposed to cutting away so many times to make it look like Batman did something. We, got, we get to actually see a little bit of action in costume, and you don't see that a lot. Even the uh, the Bale action movies, or the uh, the Bale Dark Knight movies, you know, he doesn't do a lot of, you know, ninjutsu in the suit. And we got to see a little acrobatics. Yes, it's super silly, but those scenes do feel like a comic book or even a live action episode of the animated series. And that aspect I do appreciate. And I, will, to, I will I will I will agree with that on one hand. Yes. Uh, however, there is a number of weird like there's a oh, lot of 100 percent. There's a lot of characters st- going stiff as a board as they're flung through the air and weird things that it's just the physics oh, don't make yes. sense. But there's also for every one of these scenes where there's a really cool action moment, there is a very clear take on a performer that is not. Uh any of George Clooney, uh, Alicia Silverstone or, uh, or, or, uh, O'Connell. Um, what's his name? Uh, and that's one oh, of those, uh, Chris O'Donnell, Chris, Chris O'Donnell. Sorry. Sorry. I almost called him Jerry O'Connell. I was like, that's not right. But, uh, huh. That, but that's, that's, I'm trying, the, I'm trying to picture that now, <laughs> but that's the thing that actually Jerry O'Connell would have been really good for Robin back in. Yeah. Back I, in the day I, I, there in like young Jerry O'Connell would have been, been really Sli- good. Sliders era, Jerry O'Connell. That would have been, he would have been a oh, good man. Tim Drake. I can't believe I'm saying that out loud anyway. Uh, but, but that was the thing. Like that's something that, that they're much better at hiding today. Sure. But also I feel like they were much better hiding back then. I mean, and they just didn't do it. It depends. I mean, we ha- we haven't watched a lot of movies from this time period a- as it stands. But and I also want to go back to what you were saying when he's when when uh, Arnold's not doing all of the ice puns. There was a moment towards the end where they kind of bring that kind of heart of ice story to the f- forefront, and it's extremely satisfying because Batman knows it's the first time you really get to see Batman understand the villains motivations and why they're doing what they're doing and how they were pushed to who they are and him basically saying look tell me how to do this i will hook you up with a lab in arkham so that you can work on your wife because that's the only reason you are doing everything you're doing miles can i, I say will something? help can i say something astronomically crazy what that is one of the most if not the most batman thing to happen in any Batman movie. Yeah. And and, and that's the thing is I, I watched this ending and I was like, I mean, I cannot wait to talk about this part with Drew because I think we're both going to go nuts for this slice of the movie because I felt like this, this was Batman. And in a movie where there's not a lot of, really there's not a lot of Batman happening because Batman, George Clooney was, was called on to be the campier version, but I just don't feel like Batman's really a character. He's not even the straight man in all of this. He's just there. 
I think that's mostly because it really looks like George Clooney doesn't know what to do with the cowl on. <laughs> I, there, there might be. The, it's also the, his, I think his it's Bruce also Wayne the writing. Scenes, his Bruce Wayne scenes are, are infinitely better than his Batman scenes. And I think it's just because he just doesn't know how well, to act with the big, the big rubber mask. The thing, the thing, the thing about his Batman is, I, I don't disagree, but at the same time, when you have Hi, Freeze. I'm Batman. It's it's hard to pull that off, you know, in any sort of way. So I can't I can't I know Clooney has since apologized for for doing this and saying that, you know, he ruined Batman. and It's all on him and the movie's a waste of money. But I really don't blame Clooney because I've seen him do action movies. The reason I was excited for him doing this movie was because I saw from dusk till dawn. I know he can pull that off. He was asked. He was clearly asked not to. Um, but this movie is also where you get the the problem that a lot of comic movies start to suffer in their sequels is too many too many characters, too many villains. Because you have Bane, Poison Ivy, Mister Freeze, all doing stuff. Even though Bane's more of a a henchman, although I gotta say henchman. one gag that worked. Yeah, uh, Bane, Bane. What they have with him, which is is not the fault of. Um, uh, Robert Swenson, who is a professional wrestler, rest in peace. Um, one of my favorite sight gags was when he's driving the car and he's got a little fedora hat on, a little jacket, and <laughs> he's still wearing the pain mask. It's so it's it's that's <laughs> see, that's, so that's the campy stupidity that I can get behind. Yes, like it's it, it's there, but there's so much other stuff that just I can't I can't get. Oh, I, oh so there 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 are things that, again. What I'm what I'm saying to be nice to this film is there are things about this movie, even as a campy film, that do work. There are things about this movie, even as a Batman movie. I remember for years I kind of just shrugged off the whole uh, Batgirl aspect because I'm like, well, it's not Barbara Gordon, and you know, she's a cashier with Lisa Silverstone. But honestly, she doesn't do anything wrong. Her character's not poorly written. I actually like her interactions with Poison Ivy as campy as they are. It's pretty fun. It's there's okay. some really there's some really cringy uh, dialogue, especially that one joke that was in the trailer. That's not very PC. What about Bat Person or Bat Woman? It's eye rollingly bad. But they made the same joke in the Lego Batman movie, and they did it fifty times better. Uh, I uh, I do have to say there is actually a deleted scene that changes the entire aspect of of Barbara's character. Would you? Like I don't know. That, yeah, I don't so, think I've seen it. So we are introduced to to her character coming to the to Wayne Manor and looking for Uncle Alfred. Uncle Alfred. And we are introduced to this concept that Alfred, she is the daughter of Alfred's sister. Mm-hmm. And it's this whole thing. And, and there's a whole password thing. And I don't want to get into some of the technology of the stuff because it's ridiculous. Oh, oh. oh, the computer aspect, as we've noted many times in, in this series of things we did, the computer stuff is wrong. I will uh, even I, for 1997. It's wrong. Even for 1997. It's wrong. I will tell you why momentarily, but oh no, no, you don't, you just need to watch it. There's no, there's no need to tell because it's like, no, this is, this, this is not how any of this works. Well, Cause there's one thing in particular that you kind of have to pay attention to. And it's anyway, but 
there is a deleted scene for this movie that shows uh, Bruce and Dick and Alfred and Barbara walking through the garden right after they've met her. And there's this whole explanation of, well, Alfred's not really my uncle. It turns out in a a draft of this movie and enough to where they were still shooting. Barbara's mother was romantically involved with Alfred, but Alfred didn't thought that their age difference was too great and he didn't think it was fair to her. So he left her and she then went on to find the, I think they call him a rock star or something, a a band member that ended up being Barbara's father. And that Alfred has held a candle for this woman ever since. So at some point they changed it to the sister and it's just a weird thing. I hate all of that. Yeah, it's weird, man. Uh, Actually, speaking of Alfred, can we talk about Michael Goh and how amazing he is? He's fantastic. He's 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 the one him and Commissioner Gordon are the, are the one things that carry through every single one of these movies. And Michael Go is he has he has exactly what Alfred needs to be. He's a he feels a little more frail than other Alfreds that we we culturally know uh, the animated series in particular or even the 66 one where Alfred sometimes dressed up like Batman to save Bruce Wayne. <laughs> um but man, does he pull in that he he gets that that warm fatherly love down, but he also has that good acidic bite. And he's he's great. And I I really love him in these movies. And he he'll brings, also just bring people into the Batcave when he feels like he needs to. Well, but he's got he's almost like the omniscient character. He knows who needs to be there. And and and, and we've seen Alfred do that before. And I really like that. Now with with Barbara. The way she's written is a little convenient. Oh, yeah, I, I, I know all about this book. Oh, I can never write one. OK, well, we know what's going to happen there. But <laughs> yeah, I, that was honestly one of the biggest uh, the biggest uh, holes in this movie in that. Oh, so Alfred, the butler, didn't see her bring in all this biker gear and a helmet into this room that she's staying in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, again, there, there are absolute problems. But I, I, I honestly, I find... Uh, Lisa Silverstone as Barbara Charming, I honestly always did. But as many, many boys growing up in the 90s, I was in love with her from Clueless. And so even at the time, which was two years later, I still thought she was really charming. And 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 your wife is great. She is basically playing a more level share. But I honestly, I liked what she did. I don't hate what they did with Batgirl, except I think the Batgirl suit is awful. Well, that's a whole other conversation. The costuming in this movie is bad. Yeah, it is across the board. And I get they were going for campy, but what Poison Ivy looks awful, objectively. Mr. Freeze looks stupid, objectively. Batman looks fine until they put him in the silver and blue costume. Like they basically made him one of the Kenner action figures. Nightwing, or not Nightwing, Robin is Nightwing for Robin some reason. Robin has a Nightwing <laughs> costume the entire time, except he's wearing the red Nightwing costume. That was not used. Yeah. A decade for, before Red Nightwing would be a thing in the comics. Almost um, two, but yeah. I, I 
I have that, so many problems. And then Batgirl's costume, it's just it's just bad. It's just like, bad. It's, Batgirl has no cowl until she rides the motorcycle, and then she's got a weird-looking bad cowl, and then she's like, what, is that really her cowl? And then she takes it off because it's just her motorcycle helmet. It doesn't... Yeah, they, they, they make her uh, a, a bad amalgam of Batman and Robin, and that aspect I did not... I did not like. I do like some of some of the little fun little Easter eggs. Like I love her obsessing over a purple bike, just like Yvonne Craig's purple bike in the sixties Batman. Or, or I that, loved or that. That she rode a motorcycle at all is kind of is, is a reference to that Yvonne Craig Batgirl. Uh, I liked Coolio he, was in this movie. First, well, he was supposed second. to be—he was supposed to be Jonathan Crane, setting him up for the next movie. Oh, did, did you not know this? Yeah, I know. I know. So, I knew this. I knew this. I just—I'm just like, okay, so Scarecrow's just running the uh, street oh, racing. That's, that soundtrack ain't going to write itself because Batman <laughs> and Robin and Batman Forever had star-studded soundtracks that sold very well. I mean, Seals Kiss from a Rose. Okay, no, no, time out! Time out! Time out! Time out! I know you know this, but if you go to someone on the street, they're probably not going to know this either. People are going to know the kiss from a rose came from Batman Forever. Mm -hmm. The song that came from Batman and Robin was a Smashing Pumpkins song in the shaved head Billy Corgan era. Yeah, but that song won a Grammy. I don't. I. I don't even know what it is. I didn't know it. There. Uh, it's. <laughs> there was a Jewel song also on the soundtrack. Yeah, Foolish listened. Games, which Foolish was a games. massive. Foolish hit. Foolish Games was a massive hit. You watch that video; it has nothing to do with Batman. Well, I mean, that happens a lot. Yeah. That because for an artist, it doesn't always make sense to make, and it did. It definitely didn't make sense for Jewel and her fan base to to put Batman imagery in it. It's no it bat made sense dance, for Miles. It's no bat dance. No, but it made sense for the Goo Goo Dolls to put imagery from Sea of Angels because of the song's, you know, subject matter and the intended audience. <laughs> uh, so when when the Smashing Pumpkins did the end is the beginning is the end, like, and I think that video has some some Batman stuff in that, if I remember, because it's not really it's kind of a non music video. Um, but 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 both of these soundtracks sold very very well, and yet Miles. <sighs> We need to talk about this. The song oh. was a portent. The end is the beginning is the end. <laughs> yes, I mean, that, that is absolutely true. Well, then I think the last track on the album is the beginning is the end is the beginning. They reversed it. It's, it's real dumb. Yeah. Um, so, so this is where I feel like we need to kind of come around to what happened in the aftermath of this. Because we've talked about... This movie did, it made its budget back, but it didn't do phenomenally well. No, it was still considered a failure because they spent, this movie was marketed to high heaven. I remember, I still have some of the cups. I had the back row plastic cup forever. Uh, the um, I, I, we, we talked about loving the, the 89 Batmobile so much. I would argue that this is also true of the Batman Forever Batmobile, but the Batmobile sucks it's bad it's a bad batmobile it doesn't make any sense yeah it looks like a, a a bad batmobile that grant morrison might have used once because his batmobile sometimes had a tendency to use that weird little engine in the middle 
I love the simple fact that Batman finally has a partner in, in fighting crime, and yet he goes from a two-seater vehicle to a one-seater vehicle. It doesn't make any sense. Again, that was true of Batman Forever. Um, I do like the weird oddity that is Gotham City in these movies as this sort of weird statuesque yeah. bridges 50 stories tall. It's neat, but I mean, it's just, it's... Didn't Batmobile from this movie also appear in an episode of Drew Carey for some reason? I believe that was the Batman Forever Batmobile. Oh, okay. That one was kind of the Batmobile that went around way more. I don't know which one is better or worse. They're both pretty bad in my opinion, but come at me, nerds. <laughs> yeah, know. there's, I mean, and here's the thing is I have defended this movie because I do think this movie is much more watchable than people, people claim it is. I think there is some fun stuff, especially like it's the fun bad. Like both, both movies have sequels, even though I enjoy Caddyshack 2, Drew did not, but, but those two movies, uh, Caddyshack 2 and Speed 2 are objectively awful and even though I had fun with uh, Caddyshack 2, I'm not going to watch it anytime soon. And it's still kind of a a slog. Speed 2 is an absolute bore fest. If you're watching this movie with friends, and especially if you have drinks, but even not, if you're just talking, it's a fun movie to have on. It really is. Like, you can at least chit-chat about what's going on, like when Batman whips out the Bat credit card. Um, the Bat credit card that is good through forever forever i thought that was kind of funny <laughs> to be you, honest you were incorrect in that in that no episode. that was that was that was a, a good joke and a horrible gag i hate i mean i thought uma thurman was perfectly cast she would be a wonderful poison ivy in a good movie and i don't even object to them giving her her kind of 60s 70 era outfit but the way they costumed it, it, it looks like they went down to a costume curio or a high school, just gave her some green fabric and said, best of luck. Like, it's such a lazy costume. So, As, oh, speaking of Poison Ivy, I'm sorry, Drew, but I got I to harp on something else. I'm, I'm assuming that Halle Berry used her for inspiration because her Uma Thurman's accent changes every 15 minutes in this movie. I'm going to be honest. I've never seen the Halle Berry Catwoman movie because oh, I'm talking about Storm. Oh, I don't know. But but no, I mean Uma Thurman's accent constantly changes, and it's not a oh she's Pamela Isley then she's Poison Ivy. No, no, no. Poison Ivy's accent constantly changes. Honestly, I did I didn't have a huge problem with with Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy in this movie because she at least looked like she was having fun. Oh, she's a hundred percent having and fun. That's that that means something to me. I mean, even Arnold looks like he's having fun. I just feel like his having Arnold fun. Arnold was paid twenty five million dollars to do this movie. Of course, he's having fun. Yeah. So after this, obviously, there's some retooling that happens um, in the the late nineties. There are there is an attempt to to maybe make a new Superman movie or potentially a Batman versus Superman movie. Uh, which is just crazy. There is attempts at at making a live action Batman Beyond. There is attempts at making a ba- live action Batman Year One, which is interesting based on what actually happens. Uh, and of course, we finally in two thousand five get our next. Almost yeah. ten years later, we finally get Batman Begins, and yeah, and start. they. 
a whole new, way more impressive Batman run. As as I had mentioned before, they had sort of greenlit before this movie came out, Batman Unchained, which would have uh, as can be uh, written by the same guy who wrote The Cell, Mark Prudovich. And here here's the synopsis because they were still thinking about going with it even after the movie came out until they read the script and realized it would be way too expensive to film the finale. Sometime after the events of Batman and Robin, Batman and Robin would end up parting ways due to disagreements, which we already saw in the film. Batman would soon discover a crazy scientist named Jonathan Crane, also known as the Scarecrow. Flashbacks from the first three Batman films would be shown in a dream sequence. Batman would also have hallucinations after being exposed to the fear toxin in which he would see the Joker, the Penguin, Catwoman, Two-Face, and the Riddler reunite to judge him on trial, all played by their prior actors. Harley Quinn was intended to appear in the movie as a character rewritten as a toy maker and the daughter of the Joker determined to get revenge on Batman for the death of her father. George Clooney would not reprise his role and Kevin uh, Kurt Russell was being considered. See, I was not on board until you until you told me Kurt until Russell. Kurt Russell. I want Kurt Russell to play old Batman. I know he's getting too old now, but I think Kurt Russell as a as a grizzled Batman. I don't even like grizzled Batman stories, but Kurt Russell as Batman, I'm all in. Honestly, I could see Kurt Russell as the Kingdom Come Batman more than mm-hmm. any other actor. But you're they're gonna give that to Michael Keaton, let's be honest. Well, I actually I don't think they're gonna give that to Michael Keaton. Well, because this is another thing we should talk about, maybe, because of the rumors of Flashpoint. And Michael Keaton's return to the cowl as Batman again. I firmly believe that we are going to see Michael Keaton as Thomas Wayne, Batman, the Flashpoint. I I hope not. I mean, on one hand, I do want to see the Thomas Wayne, but I really, for the actor's sake, want Jeffrey Dean Morgan to do it. I, but at the same time, I just I want to see Michael Keaton in that world in some capacity again. I'm I'm happy about that, and I'm just I'm happy that this also wasn't the end of Batman. They they said that this the the one of the main reasons outside of the failure of Batman Robin critically and by fans because it was hated. It immediately got the reputation of worst movie. But getting all of those actors who most of most of whom had gone on to be even bigger than they were when they were in the Batman movies would have been way too expensive. And the studio said, no, nah, we're we're shutting Batman down. We're putting the franchise on hold. And it's easy to see why it failed, you know, because the audience does, was 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 a fan of Batman. They were never I don't think anyone was ever clamoring for anything lighter, despite how crazy Batman Returns gets. No one was really thirsting for a, a drastic change in direction in terms of how the film's tone was. There was a rubber banding effect. You know, it was yeah. the, the 89 Batman film was darker, but it was still accessible, as the two of us can attest to. And it sold toys. I don't necessarily know that Batman Returns' problem was that it was a darker film. I think it was just as dark. It's just that Batman was barely in it. And yeah, yeah. Is, I mean, this is hindsight talking, and 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 someone hindsight by someone who was just a passive observer on all this stuff, not anybody well, that was involved in the production. 
And as someone who hung out in comic shops for most of their life uh, at the time, that especially when this movie came out, you know, a lot of people always joked, you know, oh, well, uh, Batman doesn't have a movie. The, the villains have movies, but Batman doesn't have one. And that, that criticism across the board in those first four movies is kind of right. Yes, Batman is more prevalent in Batman than in his future movies, but he's still, I mean, it's still kind of Joker's movie. Which I think was the smart thing about The Dark Knight, where Joker's only in the movie for about 15 minutes, if that. Everything else is, it's a Batman story. Hmm. And that's that's what that's what's kind of cool about it. But, but I mean, you also, if you spent $6 million on Jack Nicholson, you better darn well use Jack it. Nicholson in your movie. Yeah, I, I get it. And you gotta, you got to prove, you got to prove that because Mr. Mom can be Batman. Is your number one guy. Um, so it's one of those weird cases where, like, again, I, I definitely leaned a little lighter on this movie than you did. But I'm not saying, oh, this movie is great. I just, I see things in this movie that at least make it enjoyable as a bad movie. Like, it's, I can at least throw some popcorn on and be like, yeah, I'm going to watch Batman and Robin. I can't do that with two of these other movies you know yeah and i'll i'll agree that there is some fun to be had with it with the right concoctions i'll say isn't my name spray painted on a wall (laughs) (laughs) you sent me a text yeah so (laughs) my name just spray painted on a wall so and 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 miles spells his name with a y which uh, which is funny and i'm like wait a second miles and while that happened and i paused I look down and see that right underneath Miles' name is spray-painted a giant face of Norval Shaggy Rogers from Scooby-Doo on the ground underneath that. <laughs> uh, not to mention my other big problem with this with this movie. Batman starts typing on a keyboard in, in, in a particular area, and the keyboard, and keyboard. The keyboard is not a QWERTY keyboard as we know it. It's U-C-A-R-N-Y blah blah blah. But if you look at the second row of keys, it literally says TBS movies. Because that was a pre-done thing because as a Warner Brothers property, TBS was going to get the television rights for this movie. And for some reason, that was part of how they did that. I don't get it. I don't understand why. It doesn't even have all letters on the keyboard. It's only got like twenty-two letters. And it's it's. I mean, that's really funny. There was another aspect about this movie I really wanted to, to talk about. Uh, how um, how when uh, Barbara tries to guess Alfred's password and you see that there's a big two passwords remaining, two attempts remaining, and then she tries four more passwords before she gets it right. That was that was amusing. Um, it wasn't the bat skates. Um, Bat skates I can forgive as a campy moment. I actually kind of I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, the bat, yeah. however, the bat surfs up surfing from the Mister Freeze rocket ship. Yeah, I also that, here's here's one thing I did appreciate because because as Drew said before, this is a around the time that work began on what would become the infamous Superman Lives movie. And there's a line at the beginning of this movie, and this is what I loved about it. They're not concerned about cinematic universes. They're not concerned about any sort of continuity. 
Batman just says, this is why Superman works alone, which means Superman exists in this world. It's a DC comic playground, and they didn't care because they knew everyone knows who Superman is. It's, I mean, it's, I it's, love that. It's a fun I line. I honestly, it's a fun line, but I love that they thought, yeah, we're just going to, we're just going to flat out say, yeah, Superman's real. Why not? <laughs> I, I, I really, really dug that. This movie does have some things as, as, as Drew brought up, the heart of ice moments were, were very, very good. There, there are some, there is, you can carve out a good Batman story here from those you can't forgive some of the costuming you can't cons- uh, forgive some of the weird lighting that consistently happens like there's sometimes you just kind of throw up your hands and be like yeah this is this movie's all over the place and uh travis mentioned last week that he thinks that the movie failed in its attempt to kind of maintain that heart that bat he feels batman forever has and i can see that i and i can see that that's absolutely it i just i can also see this movie as being a little fun and an certainly not as awful as other movies because even as a bad movie you can at least enjoy it that's my that's my final take (laughs) so miles i'm gonna sound the alarm before we go off on a whole other tangent because i I think i'm pretty satisfied with our 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 chit chat on on A uh, Batman. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have had longer Batman conversations, uh, but I. Yeah, but, we will have longer Batman conversations in the future. I yes, am. I am sure. But we are now exiting franchise follies. Oh, oh, the stress is over. We don't have to focus on these terrible, terrible sequels, and we're going to move into our next theme starting next week: the comic crossover cavalcade yes uh one thing that i had i had noted when we were planning out what we're going to do in august which one week may be different because somebody's got a special birthday coming up Mm. um one of the things that we hadn't really done was comics i know we had a comic book returns when we did our thing on uh the house of x X x-men books but we have been fairly movie focused uh, a little bit since our return. So I wanted us to, to, to get back in the world of comics. And we hadn't ever really talked that much about comic book crossovers, which are a beloved part of comic book history. And it's honestly to be uh, inside baseball, a little bit uh, of a break for us because <laughs> this was a research heavy month and doing double duties with movies. It's, it's nice to be able to sit back and read a funny book. So <laughs> we are going to start off with the first modern superhero intercompany crossover, or, or sorry, cross-company crossover, 1976's Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, The Battle of the Century. And yes, we're, um, ta- we, we're talking about comic book crossovers. Crossovers come in many different shapes and sizes. Superman will guest in a Batman book. Batman and Green Lantern will team up to do something. The X-Men and the Avengers will run across each other. We're going a step further with these. We're doing intercompany stuff. We're doing people groups. That- That's the crossover to me. Like for me, and I know, I mean, you're right. They they are they were considered crossovers at a time. But for for me personally, a crossover is different companies. So this is the first time that you have a DC property and a Marvel property coming into contact with each other and how that happens and how that all plays out. I've never read this, so I'm excited to see it. 
I don't know if I have read this one. I, I feel like I read one when I was a kid. I know I read the Batman Hulk one, uh, which I may say we should double up. It depends on how we feel. Um, but this this one was a yeah, it's a special one issue book. And I'm I'm really excited because I don't necessarily think I've read it either. I think I read a spiritual sequel that happened later, but this 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 cover is an iconic crossover co- cover. You've seen it done a lot. It's been done in a lot of parodies. Uh, and I'm honestly, I'm excited to talk some comics. So this, this is one that'll be fun. You'll have some, some crazy crossovers coming next week with a potential uh, birthday drop. Uh, Drew, tell them how people can contact us and let us know some of your favorite crossovers or what you thought about Batman and Robin. Yeah, I'd be you- interested to see if anyone was a little bit kinder to it as I was. You can find us all over the internet, but of course you can find us at Twitter at the more you nerd. That's where you can find miles talking all day about all sorts of different stuff. (laughs) Wrestling. Uh, It's a lot of wrestling, a lot of power Rangers. (laughs) And mostly where you can find us is the more you nerd at gmail.com. That's the more you nerd at gmail.com. Our email address that you can reach out to us for everything. Yeah, it's it's been collecting cobwebs, and I I know we had some people check in on us uh, right before we started things back up, and uh, I would I would love to hear from y'all. I know I know some of y'all st- might still be out there. Can't be talking to ourselves. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to end the show as we always do with a rousing nerd out. out. Nice to see you, ice. <laughs>